I got a confession. I need help. So there's a lot, there's a lot of you shaking your heads. That's, I need help. Anybody else ever said that? Amen. Amen. There's a lot of you not raising your hands. <laughs> Lying is a sin. That's it's like a Ten Commandment one. I need help. You need help. We need help. Uh, lots and lots of help. How many of you have ever heard of abstract algebra? How many of you, that's more people than I thought, to be honest with you. How many people hated? See, teenagers in the room, you just take algebra, and it's pretty linear in what you do. Abstract algebra, I don't think I ever looked at a number, okay? I'm sure there were numbers there. How many of you hated abstract algebra if you took it? I was a math major. I have a degree in math. I felt gifted at math. I made A's in calculus. One, two, three, and four. I, some of you didn't even know there were four calculuses out there, but there are. I made A's. Trigonometry. Ge eh, made a B in geometry. That's okay. That's okay. Then I hit that roadblock known as abstract algebra with a professor from Iran who I could not understand. Day in and day out, I sat there with like Krispy Kreme glazed eyes. Because honestly, that's all I was thinking about because I didn't know what the guy was saying. I didn't know what he was writing on the board. I had never seen this in my life. I, I'm a smart guy. Toot, toot, right? I heard that. Th three grades in this class. No homework, three exams. That's it. Exam number one. 46. Lowest grade I ever made in my entire life on anything. Ever. I cried. I went to my truck. Because I was a commuter. I couldn't go back to the dorm. I put the little sunshade up in the windows. And I cried. But I knew I was smart enough to do better. Weeks went by. Exam number two. Three exams. That's it. Exam number two. I got it. 26. <laughs> I got worse. It was in that moment I did something that I really didn't want to do. I knocked on the professor's door and said, I need help. And he said, I know. <laughs> I do like four people in the class. It's a small school, abstract, it's for math majors. He goes, you're not the smartest one in the room. So I sat down and he helped. And he helped. And he goes, it's like every day. And like day three, he's like, you're still not smart. <laughs> but here's what he told me as we got close to the last exam. He goes, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. I said, I've got like an E average. He goes, no. It's closer to a Z. <laughs> this guy, this professor actually ended up being a really, he was a really cool guy. He actually ended up being someone we would hang out with uh, long term once you got to know him. Uh, so he, he, was really, he was really good. He was a good professor. Well, he wasn't a good, good professor. He was a good guy. He was a good guy. 
uh, he, and he just looked, he patted me, he, I walked out, I turned my exam, I was the last one done. He goes, you work hard, you'll be okay. He gave me a C. I have no idea what I made on that last exam. He said, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> but I needed help. And I asked for it, although I was prideful at first that I could figure it out, because I'm smart, or not. Uh, ask me about a story. This was during the Iraq War, and this is a squirrel. Ask me what he said about that at, at another time. Okay, He had some very insightful things about the 2003 war with Iraq, because he was from Iran. Uh, so ask me about that sometime. But he helped me pass the class. I mean, literally, he gave me the C because I didn't earn the C based on my grades, but I earned it because I went and got help. And he helped me, and he saw how hard I was working. Uh, and I really did want to learn because, you know, you never know when you're going to be at the grocery store and you have to pull out an abstract algebra equation. You know, you, you never know. <laughs> I needed help. I needed help. How many of you have been in a situation where you needed help? Again, all of us. How many of you have been in a situation where you needed help and you refused to ask for help at the start? How'd it go for you? Right? Uh, we need help. Young people, our, our youth, our students, we need help learning how to drive, so there's driver's ed. Spend enough time on I-85 and you're going to learn that people still need to go back to driver's ed. Uh, I'm one of those people, Right? Uh, you have homework. You don't know how to do it. Uh, my daughter has homework, math homework. And I've got a degree in this stuff. I have no idea what they're teaching today in math. Uh, but math is important. Stay in school. You know, learn your math. You, you might use it for abstract algebra one day. But I can't teach the way they teach today. So I tell my daughter to go ask someone smarter than me for help. And that's my mom. Because she was a math teacher, a good math teacher. And uh, Excuse me. My mother would want me to say she's a mathematician, not a math teacher. So that's where she goes for help. Uh, she goes to the grandparent. We need help working on our car. We call the mechanic, or we try to do it ourselves. My brother likes to try to do things himself. Usually ends up at the mechanic anyway, after they tow it. Because <laughs> you need help. There are times in life where we just absolutely need help. Uh, there's situations that come up, and we need help. But if uh, guys, girls... This is maybe a guy trait, maybe more than a girl trait. We don't like asking for help because we can do this. You know, the sink is clogged up. We can fix it until we forget to turn off the water valve and it leaks everywhere. That, that's not a real, that's a true story. Yeah, we, we, we need help, but we often don't like to ask for help. We like to do things. Our pride gets in the way. Now, some of us do like to ask for help and help is often available when we look for it. We just have to be able to receive help. As a young, young man, well, it's true today too. If I'm doing a project, I usually call, I, I'm not really hands-on. You know, we had men who built this thing at the Habitat House last two weeks. Man, y'all did awesome. It was fantastic, the little steps and porch they built. I can't do that. Okay, if I did it, the, it would, you know, you'd walk out the door and fall. That's, I just can't do it. So I usually get my dad to come over and help. But see, I know I can't do it, but it's my dad. And I, there's times where you don't like to listen. So even though he's telling me what I should do, I don't always do it. And usually I have to just eat my crow and be like, you know, you were right. It happens. We're all like that. We know we need help. We don't always accept the help. We don't always look for help. Uh, we get help and we don't always take the advice of the help. And then we think about our Christian life. 
Anybody ever noticed how hard it is to be a Christian? It's hard to follow uh, the teachings of Jesus. It's hard to read our Bibles for some of us. It's hard to overcome the things that we have to overcome. It's hard to follow, especially in this world with so much just ah, at our heads. It's hard. We need help. We need help to overcome our temptations. We need help to understand the Bible. If you are reading the Bible through in a year, you're probably in Leviticus, maybe. You need help to get through Leviticus. That's a hard book to read. It's a hard book to understand. Numbers, Deuteronomy, uh, then you get into some of the symbolism of the poetry books. It's, it's hard. We need help to understand and interpret the Bible. We need help to overcome our sins and our temptations. We just need help to live every single day of our life. The disciples that we've been looking at in John 14 and this whole Gospel of John, and that's where we're going to continue looking today is John 14. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open it up to read through me. But there's this, John 14 is bookended At the beginning, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. At the end, the last few verses, he says, uh, peace be with you. Again, he rephrases that, don't let your hearts be troubled. All of chapter 14 is this, just, just bookended with the disciples being overwhelmed. They're confused. I mean, Judas has left. Most of them don't know why. Jesus has been talking about, hey, I'm going away. I'm gonna die. They don't know what to do. They're asking lots of questions, and Jesus is trying to just comfort them. He's just trying to tell them it's going to be okay. There is a plan in place, and yeah, it's going to be hard. The next few days and weeks and hours are going to be hard. The next few years are going to be hard, but it's going to be okay. My work is going to continue. A couple weeks ago, we we saw Jesus say, you're going to do greater works than me. Greater works than Jesus, and we said that that's more geographical an impact, where Jesus' ministry was really centralized in Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and some of the countryside. The disciples' greater work was going to impact Asia, Europe, eventually America. It's going to just permeate through the entire Roman Empire. They are going to take the gospel of Jesus, and they're going to do greater works, and it's going to change the world. Have you ever thought about changing the world? You need help. You need help. So Jesus is talking about that, and he's encouraging them and loving on them and preparing them for time without him physically when he is gone. So we'll pick up in verse 15 of chapter chapter 14, and we'll read through the end of the chapter. He says, And remember, he just came off of saying, if you ask anything in my name, I will give it to you. That's where we're picking up. Verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor or another helper to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him. Because he remains with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. Listen to that. I will not. Jesus is telling these disciples, 
I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you live too. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father. You are in me, and I am in you. The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father. I will also love him, and he and will reveal myself to him. Then Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it you're going to reveal yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him, and we will, co- and, and we will come to him and make our home with him. The one who does not love me will not keep my words. The word that you hear is not mine, but is from the father who sent me. I have spoken these things to you while you remain with me. But the counselor, or the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I have told you. That is one of the most comforting passages of Scripture in the whole Bible. It would have been a comfort, and then you can continue to read to the end of the chapter about the peace and that bookend of how he started. Jesus is going to take care of his disciples. Uh, He starts this idea of them needing help with a reminder of the relationship between them and Jesus. He starts this section out with, if you love me. It's a reminder that our relationship with Jesus is built on love. It is built on love. Um, it's funny, in our house, especially more recently, and I told Larson, because she says this like twice a day, four times a day, that she was going to end up in a sermon illustration. Okay? We have this phrase, Daddy, if you love me. <laughs> Anybody ever said that? Anybody ever parent? If you love me, you'll go fill my water bottle up. If you love me, you'll feed the dog today. If you love me. Now, that's a little bit different than the context here in Jesus, but it's the same thing. Our relationship is defined on love. And there are times where, yes, I love her and I do what she asks. And there are other times I love her and she needs to do what she needs to do. And so I don't do it because she needs to learn how to do things. But again, the relationship in our family is defined by love. Everything we do for each other is love. The relationship between us and Jesus is defined by love. First and foremost, just to remind you of some of the other things we've learned about, it's God's love for us. The whole book of John, and even John 13 leading up to this, it's been about how Jesus loves the disciples, how Jesus loves the world. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. It's been about how God loves the people. Jesus has demonstrated that love by washing their dirty, nasty, athlete foot-ridden feet, okay? That, and, he, and he says, do as I have done, because he's telling them how to love each other. Love each other as I have loved you. He loved his enemy, Judas, and put Judas at a place of honor at the table they were eating at. Remember, you can go back and listen to that sermon, right? So he has demonstrated his love for us and how all of this starts with his love for us. The Bible, John actually says in 1st, 2nd John, I think it's 1st John, that we love 
because he first loved us. The relationship that we have with Jesus starts with God's love for us. Ephesians uh, 2, uh, Paul says, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us made us alive with Christ. Even though we were dead in our sins, you are saved by grace. Love defines the relationship. Love keeps Jesus hanging on that cross. Love is why God sent his one and only son to die for us. It is the love of Jesus that transforms the world. But then here in this text, he says, if you love me. Now, this is really hard. And this, we're gonna have to get into the weeds a little bit. Um, which I don't always like to do this, but grammatically speaking, uh, this is not like, if you love me, then do this, okay? This is not a command. It's not an imperative in the, the grammar. It's a statement of fact, okay? So this isn't like a traditional conditional clause, if-then statement that we're used to. It's actually a third-class condition in the Greek. Jesus makes the statement, if you love me, but he does not assume that they love him, nor does he assume that they don't love him. He just says, if you love me, if you love me, and then everything that follows through the end of the chapter is implications that results from our love for Jesus. And the first one is obedience. Now, this is really, really important. We struggle with obedience. And if we read this the wrong way or if we don't understand this, we are led to believe that we don't love Jesus because I failed to obey him every single moment of every single day. But that's not how it's written. It's written that says factually for those who love Jesus, the direct result will be obedience. You don't obey to love. Okay? Our love for God is is not because we obey. We obey because we love. Okay, I know that's hard for us in the English world, in this modern world to understand, but this is not about our duty. This is about our desire. That we love Jesus so much that we desire to obey him. The disciples, man, they're going to mess up. They're going to struggle. They're not perfect, but in their heart of heart, their desire is to obey the teachings of Jesus. And what is Jesus talking about? Well, just think he's obeyed them to love one another. He's obeyed them to wash each other's feet. That's the immediate context. But I'll be honest with you. I think this whole thing, and he says it four times, and listen to my word, follow my commandments. I can sum it all up because Jesus sums it up. Love God, love people. If you want to obey Jesus, if you love him and have a desire to obey him and want to keep his words, Love God, love people. Jesus says in Matthew 22, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important commandment. Love the Lord your God. Love me, love God. And the second is love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love people. You want to keep the 10 commandments? You can summarize all the 10 commandments. Love God, love people. Worship no other gods before me. Love God. Don't steal. Love people. Don't lie about people. Love people. Don't commit adultery. Love people. Jesus sums it up. Love God. Love people. That's how you keep his words. And in chapter 15, we'll dive even deeper in how we can accomplish this. 
But we are called that if we love Jesus, if we follow Jesus, the direct implication, the first thing is we will obey because that's what our heart desires. That is what our heart desires. But we struggle, don't we? And you're sitting there thinking, I thought he was going to talk about us needing help. Well, we need help to obey. Implication number one of loving Jesus is we obey. We have a desire to obey. Implication number two, Jesus says, I know you need help. I'm going to send you the helper. I'm going to send you the helper. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor or another helper to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. He remains with you. He remains in you. This word is is, is just grounded in a legal terminology. It's the idea of a defendant who has a lawyer, a counselor, who comes alongside of them to walk them through the legal process, okay? Uh, Or a prosecutor who's prosecuting comes alongside the plaintiff to walk with them through the process. I remember teaching our kids to ride their bicycles. What do you do? First thing, training wheels. Because you want to protect them, you don't want them to get hurt, it's training wheels. But even with the training wheels, you're, you're walking alongside of them. And then you take the training wheels off and you don't want them to fall. You don't want well, maybe some of you are just like, ah, you know, if you fall, you'll fall, right? But good parents. Just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> we, walk, we hold the handlebars. We walk alongside of them, holding them up, helping them learn how to ride their bicycle. I remember, like, I was like, I was like 21 when they took my training wheels off. And my dad still, you think I'm joking. I was probably a teenager when I got off of training wheels. <laughs> and I remember my dad still had to walk beside me. I was so scared to fall. I didn't know what I was doing. The bike was way too big for me because I was, I was a little short. That's okay. And he walked alongside of me. And then eventually I said, I got it. What happened? I fell. See, I got to a point where I didn't need help anymore. Now, I know it's not a perfect illustration because uh, eventually we do stop needing help riding a bicycle. It's not a perfect illustration to work it all out. But the beginning aspect of it is what happens. The Holy Spirit comes alongside of us to help us, to encourage us, to empower us. And Jesus says, I'm going to send him. Now, very important. He says, I'm sending another counselor. I'm sending another helper. Okay, you got to watch this because this is very significant. Uh, When we, there's two words for another. It can either be, I'm going to the coffee shop and I want another cup of coffee. But this cup of coffee needs to have cream and sugar and espresso or whatever. I just drink black coffee. Okay, it's another cup of coffee, but it's different, right? Because this one has cream and sugar. Or I could go up and say, I want another cup of coffee exactly like this cup of coffee. I drink a black cup of coffee. I got one another black cup of coffee. I still get another of the same thing, but the black coffee versus black coffee is exactly the same. If I put cream and sugar in it, it's the same thing, but it's different. The word Jesus uses here is the one that says it's exactly the same. I'm sending you another exactly like me, in a sense, to come alongside of you. We see a beautiful picture in this text of the Trinity. We see the Father sending the Spirit. We see the Son asking the Father to send the Spirit. We see that we're in the Son, we're in the Father, we receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come and be like Jesus 
and the fact that he's going to continue to teach us. That's what the passage ends. He continues to be with us, and he's in us. And you can read other passages where Jesus says, look, it's better for me to go. I have to go because when I go, you get the spirit, and that's really what you need. I've been with you. The spirit is going to be in you, and he's going to be in you forever. And Jesus' humanity, he's in a physical body. Whether he's crucified or natural death, he's going to die, and we know he's going to be crucified. His physical body is going to die. His his spirit and his body will be ascended into heaven. He's not going to be here anymore. But the spirit comes and will be with them and in them forever. And it will continue the work that Jesus has already started. Again, the Trinity is, is, is really hard to explain. It's really hard to understand. It's one God and three persons. The Father is God, but the Father is not the Son. The Father is not the Spirit. The Son is God, but the Son is not the Father, and the Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is God, but the Spirit is not the Father, and the Spirit is not the Son. But the Spirit continues that work that Jesus has already started. When we have trouble understanding scriptures, do you ask? Not me. I mean, you can ask me. I'd love to help you. But do you just sit back and say, God, I don't get it. I need the Spirit to help me to understand this. I need to feel the presence of the Spirit when we feel lonely. Jesus says, I'm sending you help because I know it's going to be hard. I get it. And by the way, Peter, Peter's not top-notch disciple. I don't know if you've read about Peter. And yet he's going to be empowered and filled with the Holy Spirit. And this this Peter, the guy that cuts an ear off of a Roman soldier, that's the way he wanted to obey Jesus, by going to battle. But he stands up on the day of Pentecost. He's filled with the Holy Spirit, and he preaches, and he teaches. He's uneducated, by the way. And he preaches, and he teaches. And 3,000 people, greater works, because he had help from the Father. He had help in the Holy Spirit. He had help. Listen, why don't you listen very carefully. I'm going to sit down for this one. I want, you're, you're sitting down. I'm going to sit down. I want you to lean in. When you're feeling alone, you're not really alone. You have the Holy Spirit. When you are in that hospital bed, you're not alone. You have the Holy Spirit. When you're trying to figure out the next steps of your life, where am I going, what am I doing, you're not alone. You have the Holy Spirit. When you have a chance to tell somebody about Jesus, it's scary. We don't always, we feel like we don't know what to say or how to say it. You're not alone. You have the Holy Spirit. When you are struggling with your sin, everybody in here has got a sin you struggle with. Maybe more than one, but everybody's got a sin you struggle with. At least one. On those days when it is hard to say no to that temptation, you have the Holy Spirit in you. By the way, the Bible says Jesus always gives us a way out. We just have to see the way out. We have to 
rely and trust the Holy Spirit a lot. See, here's what, we're Baptist. We're scared of the Holy Spirit. Let's just be honest. We're scared of the Holy Spirit. You know why? Because we've seen, honestly, false manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we've seen real manifestations of the Holy Spirit, and we're afraid of it. We're afraid of it. Some of us are actually afraid that if we really listen, if we really ask for help, he may tell us to do something we really don't want to do. We can't be afraid of the Holy Spirit. We can't be afraid of what the Holy Spirit can do in our life. We sang that song, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Is he? Is he welcome in your home? Is he welcome in your heart? Is he welcome in this church, another church? Do we really ask him for help? Now, we know he's here. He's in us. If you're a Christian, if you follow Jesus, he's in you. He's in you. The question is, do you turn your life over to him? Do you really trust the helper? Do you really trust what he's going to do and what he's going to say? Do you really trust that he is with you when you're alone? Do you trust that he's with you in that hospital bed? Do you trust the Holy Spirit? Listen, the work is hard. We will never accomplish it if we don't rely on the helper. If we don't actively trust the help that the Spirit gives us, we will fail. By the way, we'll fail at doing the greater things that we've been called to do if we don't get help from the Holy Spirit. If we don't let the Holy Spirit guide our prayer life, then we'll find ourselves, well, I prayed in Jesus' name and it didn't happen. We just read that last two weeks ago. Anything you pray in my name, I'll give to you. Are you praying in alignment with God's will? Are you letting the Holy Spirit guide your prayer life? So here's the question. Are you relying on the Holy Spirit? Are you trusting in him? Are you praying for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Listen, I'm as skeptical as anybody about what's going on at these college campuses. Big revivals are breaking out in Asbury, Samford, all these. And I think skepticism is healthy because the Bible does say test the spirits. But here's what I know above all else. There is an outpouring of the Spirit happening in those places. And while there may be things happening that is contradictory of that, there are people in those rooms who are truly being revived, and there are people in those rooms who are truly experiencing the, poor, the, the blessings of the Spirit being poured out in their life. See, that's, this is revival. Revival starts in, in churches. Revival happens in chapels. When God's people are revived, when God's people lend themselves to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, when God's people pray for the Holy Spirit... Revival happens. Revival's for the church. And the results of revival will be an awakening of people outside of the church. We will do greater works when we allow the Spirit to revive our hearts, our minds, our souls. And you do that through Scripture, and I don't want to jump too much ahead into next week's sermon. But we have to rely on the Holy Spirit and not ourselves. Here's what the Proverbs say. I'll leave you with this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, 
Acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Don't trust yourself. Trust the spirit that you have in you if you are a believer of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we, we thank you for a helper. We're so grateful that you understood how hard this life is, that you understood our struggles with sin, our struggles with understanding the Bible, our struggles in life in general. Father, we, we just are so thankful that you understand, that you, that you get what we're going through. But we're so thankful that you sent us a helper, that you sent us the spirit of truth to help us to discern the truth of the Bible, to help us discern what is right and wrong, to help show us the right path to take. We're thankful that the Holy Spirit continues to work in us and to teach us and that it reminds us of what you have said. But Father, help us to tap into it. Father, help us to be open to it, not to be fearful of it, to reject it, to be apprehensive or anxious about it, because uh, oftentimes it, you move in ways that we don't understand, ways that we're not comfortable with. But Father, we do pray that you move. We pray that you would open our hearts so that we would see the movement, that you would revive our hearts, our souls, our spirits, our churches, and that through the revival that happens with the outpouring of your spirit, that there would be an awakening, not just here, but around the world as people are drawn to you and receive you and are saved by your grace and your work on the cross. Father, we love you and we thank you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.